Hello, beautiful humans. Welcome to another Tweet Breakdown at the Bitcoin Stoa. This is a short format show where we break down Bitcoin one awesome tweet at a time. And today I'm joined by Greg Foss, and we're going to be breaking down a tweet by an amazing human who's doing some pretty groundbreaking work leading the charge and protecting human rights around the world. And that human is Alex Gladstein. Uh, so current Moscow time is 1628 at 707124. Greg, thank you for being here today. I know that this tweet will fire you up and I look forward to hearing you unpack the topic that I know gets under your skin and it, quite frankly, it needs to be talked about because we need to, you know, part of the mission at the Stoa is dispel bullshit with truth. So um, as a reminder to everyone listening, Bitcoin Stoa is a community funded project, uh, community funded platform. If you enjoy listening, you can support the project by sending some sats to the QR code at bitcoinstoa.com or you can stream sats using the Breeze app, which has a really badass podcast feature. So with that said, the tweet made by Alex Gladstein was on October 23rd, 2021, and it says, armchair economist, noun, quote unquote, expert or pundit, typically based in an advanced economy with a reserve currency and property rights, who dismisses the utility of Bitcoin for tens of millions of people worldwide without doing any actual research to support their claims. Thank you, Alex, for gifting Bitcoin Twitter with that wisdom. Greg, it's over to you. I would love to hear what you think about that. So, well, <clears throat> Nick, first of all, thank you very much for having me for a second time. I love what you're doing out of Ottawa. Um, for your listeners, um, I will just say one thing. Um, I have a bit of an ongoing, uh, well, it started with, actually with uh, Peter Schiff, and perhaps we didn't hit this on your first topic, but uh, what I do like about Peter Schiff, and I do like a lot about him, is that he would say the same thing as Alex Gladstein said. Uh because I don't think Mr. Gladstein or Alex uh, actually mentioned Bitcoin in there. He just, if, if he did, I apologize, but you could insert gold in there. Uh, and that's what Peter Schiff, uh, um, you know, Peter Schiff's love and guys like uh, a gold uh, investor that I've come to really admire. Uh, the gentleman's name is Lawrence Lepard out of Boston. Now, Larry or Lawrence Lepard has made the bridge, bridge the gap between um, the gold, hard money, as well as Bitcoin. Whereas Peter Schiff or Shifty, as I like to call him, he never will because he's, uh, he's somewhat conflicted. And he's also too far behind on his trade that I think that if he did admit that uh, at this point that he's wrong, it would be a fall from, uh, you know, an admission that it's the worst investment decision of his career. So that being said, <clears throat> I want to talk a little bit about the gold community and define the difference between someone who gets it like Lawrence Lepard and someone who probably gets it like Shifty Pete, but doesn't uh, admit it and therefore uh, is educating people in, on a, on, in something as a bias uh, towards his business uh, prospects, which would be gold, uh, his gold bias. Mr. Schiff is, uh, has a son who's uh, named Spencer, who... One of the first times I got involved in Twitter, I somehow got Spencer Schiff to admit to me that he owned a Bitcoin wallet. And I'm like, Spencer, you know, admit to the world you actually own a Bitcoin. And he came back to me. This was, I think, two Augusts ago. And he comes back to me and he says, well, to be honest, I own $400 worth of Bitcoin. And I'm like, wow. So is this a bot? Is this true? Is he trolling me? And the reality was he does. And now that family has divided themselves down the center, one who supports gold, the dad, and then one who supports uh, Bitcoin. 
the son, which is to say the following. Someone in the family made the conscious decision to change their mind. And whether it was uh, strategic or whether it actually happened, whether it was the new thinking of the son, the mark of an excellent risk manager is to change your investment thesis when the information changes, right? I mean, that's what you have to do. Having spent 30 years trading, it's not the investments that you sell when you get the bad news. It's the ones you hold on to when the bad news comes and you hope that it returns to its former glory. Or conversely, it's the one that you don't invest in and you realize you should have, and then you have price bias because you, or, you know, you have um, recency bias. You say, oh, I can't go back into it. I could have bought it. Uh, yeah, the whole, know, it's too late now. Yeah, which, which is very poor risk management, but uh, both are one from a long perspective and one from a short perspective, right? Because if you don't own Bitcoin, you're irresponsibly short as the information continues to change uh, and you continue to push on that string. Uh, you get carted off the trading floor. So let's take it one level higher. Uh, Alex Gladstein. Yeah, you know, I've never met him. And I look forward to when I when I do, because I really think he's doing some incredible stuff on the world stage for human rights. And this is what happens when you get conflicted armchair risk managers who generally are privileged. Uh, some of them are armchair economists that are in endowed chairs who still never traded risk in their life. Perhaps they do it with uh, their own personal money, but they've never done it for other people. And I'll just tell you, there's nothing like managing other people's money, okay? Uh, in order of priority, it's easiest to lose your own money. It's second easiest to lose a bank's money, but you don't want to if you're a, if you're a trader with any, uh, uh, how would I say, you know, if you have any integrity, you don't want to lose a bank's money. But sure. if you do, it's, you know, it's difficult. Your bonus might get cut, but, uh, and you, you may lose your job. But the worst thing is if and you the bank will probably clients, get bailed out. Let's be real. The bank will just get a hand. Oh well, yeah. But on a, on a personal basis, I don't think I've ever taken a big enough risk for bank of banks capital. They wouldn't allow me to anyway, that would require them to get bailed out. Certain banks have the, the whale, the JP Morgan whale, for example, in the credit default swap markets was an example of poor risk management right under the nose of Mr. Jamie Dimon. Uh, but let's, let's leave that one aside right now. Okay. Sure. So the London whale uh, at JP Morgan was an example of uh, poor risk management at the bank level, but FOSS never was big enough at the bank level to bring down any of the banks he worked with. But at the hedge fund, when you're managing money for, uh, for third parties and, and friends and family, and you lose money or you're a poor risk manager there, uh, it, it grinds on you. And that experience, though, re, uh, requires you to, to be open to research that is counter to your own opinion. Why? Because you don't want to read research that tells you how smart your, the trade you have on is. You need to read research that tells you, hey, you might be wrong, man. And you better read that research because if you are wrong, you're going to, you know, you better un, uh, reverse your trade or at least lighten up on the trade. So if you're convinced that that research is, uh, is valid versus your own thesis. So where are we going with this? I have a particular problem with a professor at uh, Johns Hopkins University, who I think Alex may have been inferring in his tweet. 
Um, and this is a Steve Hankey who, uh, honestly, in his tweets, it appears that he wants El Salvador to fail in their embracing uh, Bitcoin as legal tender. Mm-hmm. He wants to maintain the pecking order of the rich G7 nations versus the nations that are further down in the privilege spectrum that are the ones that will benefit from uh, a Bitcoin standard, the ones that are getting out from under the hand of uh, a U.S. dollar that uh, benefits the United States, but to the detriment of the monetary and fiscal uh, flexibility of the government of El Salvador. So I believe he's an IMF economist. Uh, I believe you don't have to look any further than that to understand that his tweets uh, could be biased by that uh, by that reality. But the biggest problem I have, Nick, is it's absolutely disgraceful when he hopes to continue to uh, uh, weigh on or suppress the evolution of a, you know, developing world uh, economy to the benefit of his ancient fiat policies and uh, flawed economic thinking. So I have a huge problem with that, not because I think I'm right. I do think I'm right, but he's allowed to think that I'm wrong. What the problem I have with is he actually wants the poverty of the people of El Salvador to continue at the expense of the continuing enriching of the United States and the world reserve currency status that they enjoy. And that's a big problem, isn't it? Because there's a huge children problem. there. There's of the six and a half million people that live in El Salvador, three of three million odd do not even have a bank account. You, you don't understand these statistics in a developed nation like the United States and Canada, obviously, but where, where you and I are from. But, you know, this is just disgraceful behavior. It's, you know, in other scenarios, you, you know, Jack, uh, uh, Jack Dorsey, Mollis. he'd be, he'd be absolutely, uh, you know, uh, requiring these tweets to be uh, taken off of Twitter because they're encouraging the right. suppression of, uh, of e- economic enriching of a, of a uh, you know, I, I keep almost saying third world nation, but of a less de- lesser developed country. It's disgraceful behavior by Mr. Hankey. I'm not sure if you wanted me to get that specific about Alex's tweet, but I need to because he's the poster child for, uh, you know, criminal thought processes that want to maintain the status quo for the IMF and Christine Lagarde and these types of politicians that or, or um, regulators and, and, uh, and the like that have actually been proven for fraudulent and criminal activities uh, involving their personal, uh, their personal um, uh, investing as well as personal uh, um, actions. So what does it all mean? In a, in a, I don't even remember how many words Twitter can take, but it's certainly not a whole lot, right? It was an eloquent tweet by Alex. It implied something to me that it that, that was personal in my battle with uh, Hanky. So again, just to summarize, look, there's the Peter Schiff's of the world that also would agree that Hanky is somewhat uh, conflicted and uh, yes, it'll benefit gold, uh, but he hasn't embraced the Bitcoin. Then there's the Larry Lepards of the world who are gold and Bitcoin investors uh, that would also call out Hanky as disingenuous. But listen, 
It's not just about Bitcoiners to call him out or gold bugs to call him out. It's about what's right in the world. And that is not right. His, his actions and speech and tweets are just absolutely wrong. Yeah. And, you know, I think one of the saddest and most kind of like gross things is um, people spreading lies, but posing as educators or wisdom keepers, right? Like if you're in a high up position in academia in a school and you are disconnected from reality, like I think one of the biggest things that jumps out at me when I read a, um, a tweet from Hanky or Krugman even is like, I'm not an economic genius. And I can tell that what they're saying is literally narrow-minded and in the grand scheme of things, false. So how is this person so disconnected from reality that they don't even see, like, do they actually think people are giving them academic prowess and listening to them and and taking them seriously? Because no one I know that has a medium, even shallow understanding of how the world works at a macro level takes them anywhere near seriously. They're like, they look at their tweets for entertainment. So I guess my question is like, how does someone in a position like that become so disconnected from reality, the true reality of the world? Because it doesn't take that much effort to like just see that El Salvador is doing something good and that the positives far outweigh the negative. So I guess my question to you is, do you think they're, it's just they're disconnected from reality? In which, in which case, it's like, how the fuck do you get that disconnected from reality? And number two, do you think it's more that their paychecks depend on them continuing to spread bullshit? Um because they're stuck in a position that requires them to do that in order to still be of relevance, even within whatever small spectrum that might be. Like, like I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's a, that's a pretty loaded question. So the answer, let's just talk about academic uh, armchair uh, types and then New York Times columnists like uh, Krugman. Uh, so you got only have to, the problem I have is it's all statistics, right? I mean, even if I, I believe on the mar- not just on the margin, but even in the majority, you're right. Uh, most people will understand that their tweets are wrong and that there's a problem with those tweets. But the problem is not everybody will. And, and that's why I have an issue. If you have a, a following like Hanky has, which is hundreds of thousands of followers, if I'm not mistaken, uh, you know, at least some of them believe he's right. And that's the problem. I'm not concerned about the people that can see through his tweets. I'm concerned with the people who can't and who actually go out and continue to, you know, it's, it's the law of, uh, uh, you know, broken telephone, right? Like uh, he says a tweet and then someone else says the same thing, essentially maybe changes a few words, but the, the actual uh, result is the same. It's miseducation. It's uh, so let's talk about Krugman and uh, Hanky and their failed, uh, you know, Krugman's one about the internet, not having more uh, the impact of the inter uh, of the internet. He said this in 1998, I believe will be no more than the fax machine. Yeah. And yet people still listen to this knucklehead, right? Um, I frequently say, look, someone who's wrong a hundred percent of the time is just as valuable as someone who's always right. Right. Sure. <laughs> I mean, if you're if you're smart enough to uh, to understand that a lot of his stuff is actual drivel. But yeah. if you're not and that's what really is the concerning part for me, because let's be honest, a podium in a free speech world is a good thing, but it's also a bad thing. Right. Because you do influence people. Oh, he must be smart. He's a professor at Johns Hopkins or he must sure. be brilliant because he's written uh, for The New York Times and he's won a Nobel Prize. I mean, Krugman was like literally in the highest position, one of the highest positions for economists to get. And even the other day, a prime example of this, 
he he did a tweet that said that Venezuela is the only seriously inflationary economy. Yeah, I know. Which, if you understand anything, is pure nonsense. If you know anything cursorily about Lebanon, Nigeria, Cuba, or the USA, you know it's flat out wrong. Yeah. And the question is, like, how does someone that has seen as so prestigious as him continually wrong and yet still given a microphone? And the sad part is, like, he's probably relied on for policy decisions more than someone like you who actually is grounded in reality and has sat in the chair of understanding the, the true stake, the, the stakes of, of, of having skin in the game, right? Yeah. Like moral skin or like financial skin. And it's so, yeah. it's so goofy. How does this continue to perpetuate? Well, I guess like, Nick, it, it, it continues until more people like yourself call it out. Um, one thing I, I think that, that, you know, I, I, I've generally got a, a lot of enemies without being on Twitter Uh and I say that tongue in cheek because I, I do call out uh, BS Truth has enemies. see it, Truth whether it's on enemies. Twitter or not. Uh, but I'm okay with that, right? Because I, ch- I try and tell the truth. I mean, that's how I was brought up. But that's what's more important for my children is to actually, if something concerns me, it's going to weigh on me for not speaking up when I think there's a problem. If the, if the problem eventually spirals into the uh, end result that I think is possible, I would have mm-hmm. looked back and say, why didn't I say anything, right? Yep. Um. But you'll get, you know, it's like everything. You got type A characters, you got B type characters, uh, you got leaders and followers. The beautiful thing about Twitter is it does give a platform that's outside of the mainstream media narrative. Because before, it's really easy to understand why a lot of people, if they got all their news from uh, Krugman, it's un- it's understandable why everyone believed uh, that you had to read the New York Times every day. The beautiful thing. And I'll encourage uh, viewers from my generation. I don't think the younger kids need to understand this, but from my generation, you know, I'm a Canadian, but I used to make it a habit of watching at least one U.S. mainstream media uh, newscast an evening. Okay. Um, And it was NBC. And I did like Tom Brokaw, even though I didn't always agree with his political leanings. I, I did like Tom Brokaw. Uh, But then for some reason, I started watching more than one mainstream media uh, broadcast. Uh, It was a function of me retiring. I I had more time on my hands. Plus the fact that somehow in Toronto, we get uh, an ability to watch a, let's say, a central uh, time zone, eastern time or central time zone. But then we also have the uh, Seattle time that comes on and we can watch uh, their uh, 9.30, excuse me, 6.30 newscast, which is actually 9.30 our time here in Toronto. So then I'd watch a CBS. Let's say I, I started with NBC at 6.30. Then I'd watch a CBS. And then at one point I was watching all three. Hmm. And that's when it's, it, it dawned on me that of all three of the networks, basically their first three top stories were exactly the same, like it had been scripted. And then if they have five or six stories in total, they really, you know, it, it was really remarkable how you got the same news, didn't matter what uh, mainstream media outlet you listen to. Now, I understand, you know, Fox News has come in to, to break down these, uh, the walls of the big three and everything, and then CNN. And, but the reality is, for the longest time, everybody got their news from the standard three largest U.S. stations. And then you'd pick out newspapers that were the same thing. You either read the New York Times, you read the Wall Street Journal. You know, uh, in, in the UK, you'd read uh, 
you know, the financial times, or you'd read, you know, one of the, one of the, the daily rags, depending on your leaning, it's confirmation bias, just listening to these people. And this is what you have to try and break out of. So I encourage people on Twitter to try to learn the same thing I did uh, by listening to the mainstream media, just from my history. Uh, now I say that on Twitter, but coming back to, I don't watch mainstream media anymore. Like I don't need to be brainwashed by these knuckleheads that actually yep. don't know what's going on. And even if they do, they're not allowed to say it. That's the scary thing, isn't it? Don't you yeah. think there's so many people that actually know what's going on? Don't you think Jamie Dimon, head of the largest U.S. bank, J.P. Morgan, actually knows the threat that Bitcoin is to his business and is conflicted and saying stuff like he always does, like, I don't think there's any intrinsic value when he knows absolutely there's intrinsic value and it's about to eat his lunch, you know? And this is why Twitter's a nice platform because you can get the truth. And sometimes the truth hurts. And I've had, you know, I've had a lot of very flattering responses to some of the research I've written. And I've had truth that hurts, like, hey, Foss, you know what? You're wrong. You're an idiot. And I'm okay with that. You got to listen to the people that don't agree with you. Yep. Doesn't change my mind most of the time because I don't believe they're right, but at least I listen to it. Hanky doesn't even listen to it. With a credit due to Peter Schiff, <laughs> he actually listens to it, but still hasn't changed his mind. <laughs> and I don't care if he ever does or doesn't. Sure. Um, because I think he gets more pressed by disagreeing with it. I oh yeah. I'll, I'll agree with you too. And, and I think it's a, a source of pride for him is his number of Twitter followers rather than his investing uh, prowess, because uh, if it was his investing prowess, people would just have to look at his, uh, his actual returns and say, why am I paying for this type of performance? Right. Yeah, he gets blamed for being the that most aside, not, not trying to, you know, uh, poke the, the, the lion or, uh, he doesn't have a chance to defend himself on this. Sure. Let's go back to Hanky, who never listens to anything, never changes his mind. In fact, regurgitates the same tweet over and over and over again, which makes me question if the guy is actually doing his own tweets or if it's some sort of robot or some sort of underling that just, you know, says, oh, well, I need to get five tweets out today and therefore, uh, and make them matter. So, you know what, Nick? I mean, Let's bring it back to the positive. Alex Gladstein is doing the work of, uh, you know, uh, an absolute uh, hero. Steve Hankey is doing the work of an absolute loser. Okay. So you can listen to the heroes or you can listen to the losers. And over time, markets are efficient and they weed out the winners from the losers. Gladstein is a winner. Steve Hankey is an outright loser. I, I think the cool thing about Bitcoin, maybe not the Bitcoin community, but Bitcoin as, as a protocol, it doesn't hold the grudges. So if Hanky ever turns, you know, like the biggest, the, the lies that he's dispelling, if he switches and he says, you know, fuck this, I'm tired of lying. And I want to actually have a legacy that has meaning to it. Cause I'm sure, at, yeah. I'm sure at some point, Stephen Hanky was a very smart gentleman in the world that he was in at the time. The world changed. He hasn't changed yet. And he's constantly having to narrow and narrow his, his like aperture to the world because then he can never be proven wrong, right? If you never have a conversation with Greg right. Foss, if you never look at anything, you can never be proven wrong. But eventually it's like the, the further you get away from reality, the more it hurts when you get back down. And it's like gravity. 
you cannot escape gravity forever. The further you go up, the harder you're going to slam into the ground, the more it's going to hurt. So I think the cool thing about Bitcoin is that if Hanky wants to invest in Bitcoin, Bitcoin will not stop him from investing in, in Bitcoin. And that's I think that's that, yeah. part of the beauty of Bitcoin is that it welcomes everyone. It doesn't hold grudges. Everyone, I think, deserves a chance of redemption. I think people won't forget some of the shit that you've done if you've done really silly stuff. But at the same time, it's like you just wish... I, I, would, I don't want Hanky to have uh, a legacy that makes everyone forget about some of the good work he's done. But I think he needs to get his head out of his ass and be, like get a refresher on reality. And, you know, like I think the lack of willingness to even just show up to like a, a discussion, a gent, a, like a beautiful disagreement between two people who respect each other and aren't just trying to win, they're trying to learn. Uh, and back to your thing about looking at perspectives that are different than your own. If you care more about learning than being right, Every interaction is an opportunity to either learn a new perspective and change your mind or to reinforce that the perspective you currently hold is good, is grounded yeah. in reality. And So uh, the best traders yeah. I've ever met aren't the guys that have all the letters behind their name, okay? They're not the MBAs, the CFAs, the PhDs, okay? The best traders I've ever met are the ones with street smarts, the ones who understand uh, momentum, the ones, though, that understand more importantly than anything, they are not the smartest people in the room and therefore they have to continue to learn. Yep. Okay. And learning is something I, I brought out the, the phrase momentum. All momentum is, is really not just listening to the market, but to listening to the narrative. Okay. So a good trader will listen to the narrative. And if he's going against that narrative, he'll say, I don't agree with that narrative and I want to go against it but you never short a bull market. Okay. That's one of the laws of, of uh, investing. So you wait until the market turns and you may not get the absolute top. In fact, no one picks the absolute top to sell or to short much like no one picks the absolute bottom to buy or go long. It's a process. And the smartest guys I've ever traded with are the guys that just understand things like human nature, survival on the streets, understanding sometimes the greatest traders where I'm not going short because I know this guy who I really respect is actually long the position and he's rarely wrong. So even though I'm not going to get in to his position, I'm not going against them. Again, it's like if you know someone who's wrong hundred percent of the time, that's a very valuable thing. Cause what would the smart trader do say? Ah, Foss is always wrong. <laughs> I'm going to go against it. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's a really valuable signal too. So, you know, tr traders are great. Traders have no, uh, they have thick skin and they have no egos because the market removes all your ego. Okay. That's yes. what markets do. Markets exist to make you look stupid. And that's, what markets do. And all these armchair economists that have never had a reckoning of a market who, let's say they, they actually did put this Bitcoin position on, like Shifty Pete, who not only thinks it's worth zero, but actually shorted it and then shorted more of it and then shorted more of it and shorted more of it. And guess what? Efficient markets would dictate that he'd have to cover because all his investors that he was shorting money for were losing so much of their money, they'd say, give me my money back. And in order for him to give them their money back, he would have had to cover his short to get off of the contract to allow them him to deliver cash to, uh, to his investors, a lot less cash than they originally invested, yeah. but to deliver cash. The 
net net of this whole thing is I survived for 32 years. And I promise you, the smartest people are born in a risk chair. They are not born in an endowed university chair. And just to summarize, uh, a good friend of mine, Preston Pish, actually is a John Hopkins uh, graduate. Okay. I'm not sure if you knew that. But he also calls out how Hanky is saying, look, you're, uh, you're destroying the value of my diploma, uh, knucklehead. And, and that's true too, because that's some of the people that get, uh, they get hurt by, uh, Hanky's, uh, uh, blind, uh, utterances. Yep. What I love about Bitcoin Twitter is that it's almost like Twitter has the, or um, Bitcoin has this responsibility baked into it. The only way you can truly own and self-custody, which is, you know, that's kind of like the gold standard in the Bitcoiner community, uh, is to take responsibility. And that also means responsibility for understanding the mechanics of how this whole thing works. Yeah. And so this whole notion that like Bitcoiners are very well informed and it's almost like proof of work. I've done the work to understand this. Uh-huh. I'm not just like appealing to authority and thinking that, oh, someone said this. So that's the truth. It's like, yeah, I'm doing the proof of work myself. I'm verifying. I'm not trusting. I love it. And there's so much beauty there. And just to a little pin in the uh, shifty P I have a soft spot for Peter Schiff because I followed him for a long time and I agreed with him on almost everything. And I felt bad because he was the guy that was most wrong and took so long to get vindicated because of all the fuckery and how, how people just kicked the can down the road. But these days I can't listen to him. Cause I'm like, dude, you need to like, stop ignoring the signals you're getting that you need to kind of like wise up and see this because there's, I agree. I've never seen someone that I agree with on 99% of things right. and been so triggered to listen to. Cause he's just that 1% he's blindly ignoring reality. Um, but so how yeah. about we do this? How about we flip it on its ear uh, at this point? Cause I know you don't want this to run too, too long. How about we flip it on its ear to the uh, two guys who, uh, to come out, come out in a, in a, 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 in a storm tweet and are actually um, uh, somewhat called out, which is fine because the Bitcoin community, the Bitcoin Twitter community uh, is full of a bunch of quite, uh, uh, you know, maximalist behavior and calling out whatever they see uh, sure. as, as so, you know, I think that you can learn a lot from the, 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 the one person that I'm making reference to here is Jason Lowry. And I'm not sure if you know who he is, but Ooh, yes. So one of my favorite I'm a, people to follow. I am a huge fan of his. All right. And you know, people say Foss, you're getting, he's a spook and Foss, you, you don't understand what you're doing. And okay. Have those people read everything he's written? Because I'm it's, sorry? it's, I don't know if those people that say that have read everything he's written because everything that's available that I've read is like, this guy is like sailor's apprentice. Oh, he's unbelievable. And I've met him in person. Okay, Nick, I've had Amazing. dinner with him in Boston. Me, Peter McCormick, uh, Ben Prentice, uh, cool. another uh, gentleman from uh, the state of Maine, actually. Uh, and I had dinner in Boston and it was an unbelievably great night. And Jason is the real deal, in my opinion. Now, cool. I'm allowed to have my opinion and other people are allowed to believe that I'm wrong. Sure. Um, and they can believe whatever they want. But again, it's it's the same. It's about doing your own research. Right. And, you know, reading between the lines. Um, Bitcoin is proof of having to spend over, in my opinion, it's it's hundreds of hours. But yeah. if you haven't even put in 50 hours studying Bitcoin, there's no way that you can even be any type of authority of why it won't work. Yet, how many people are the people who release it like 
Alex says. Now, the flip side, though, is you come in as a space, uh, U.S. space, this Jason Lowry, U.S. space, space something, I can't remember. And he's already done so much work. Yeah. Like, in fact, work that blew me away. And he's an MIT kid, 20-something years old. And I endorse him. And I get just, I don't get just, there was few, a few Bitcoin masks, maxis that are like, will you shut up? I'm like, why? Can't, can't you see he's a government plant? He's this and that. So uh, we got to be careful, right? Um, not well, I respect your opinion, Greg. And I know a shitload of other people do because you're authentic, you're genuine. And it's like, that's refreshing, right? People that if you make a mistake, you own up to it, you change your opinion, uh, you're fully honest and authentic. You speak from your heart. You're not jaded by some weird other set of incentives that no one knows about, but people sense is weird. I get that from the armchair economists. And um, yeah, I think let's wrap it up. Greg, thanks for being here. I think, uh, you know, thank you to everyone listening to this episode of Tweet Breakdown. And I think the wisdom you spit is always a pleasure to listen to. And I'm grateful for your time. If you enjoyed it, we look forward to creating more Tweet Breakdown episodes at the STOA and inviting other people to contribute as well. The short form little um, taking tweets as a launch pad for a quick discussion, I think is really powerful. If you enjoyed the show, you can send some SAS to QR code at our homepage. Greg, thanks for being here. Everyone, thanks for listening. Ciao for now. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, everyone. Have a great day.